Jean Gribben founded and directs Beads of Courage Incorporated, an innovative arts and medicine program that supports children coping with serious illness, as well as their families and healthcare providers. She first developed the idea while working on her doctorate. In this episode, we talk about the intersection between art and science and why making things makes us happy. Jean, I'm so glad you're here today, and I want to thank you right off the bat for inventing one of my very favorite things. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really an honor to join you on your podcast. Oh, I'm so excited to hear this side of the story because the first time that I met you was at an event where you were telling people about Beads of Courage and encouraging them to get involved in some of the different ways they could get involved in in addition to how it all began. So I feel like this is a full circle moment right here. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about how, how what it is and how you got it started? Well, great. Well, Beats of Courage is a nonprofit organization that I founded back in 2005. It's been a long journey. So thank you for inviting me to share the story and the history of Of how it started. Um, My background, I'm a pediatric oncology nurse, and it was while uh, caring for kids at the bedside that I quickly realized while I felt very competent in the ability to care for their physical needs as their nurse, at the end of my 12-hour shift, I go home feeling a little defeated, knowing that I really didn't meet all the emotional needs for the patients I was caring for. And so that really kept me up at night, wondering what more I could do to um, really support the emotional needs. When you're working the front lines of caring for kids that are sick, Um, you really bear witness to that courage and that perseverance in and out of every day during their treatment journey. So simultaneously, I was uh, started graduate school and really made that as my mission, developing a coping intervention for kids. And that really was my inspiration, um, is recognizing the need uh, to better help kids cope, that as a nurse, there really wasn't a tool at the bedside that I could access to acknowledge the courage that I witness each and every day. And I think, you know, you're an artist, Katie. And for me, as a nursing scientist, um, curiosity is something we share in common. You're Mm -hmm. curious, um, you're creative, and curiosity got the best of me when I was working as a camp nurse. And it was while at camp uh, that I observed kids out of all the things they could do at this therapeutic recreation camp. They love the beating activities. Oh, I'd love to hear that. (laughs) It's like, wow, you... You love, out of all the things, horseback riding, rope climbing, wow. canoeing, um, the kids would make and take things from their arts and crafts rotation and wear them throughout camp. And I just found that really curious. Uh, simultaneously, a study was published by Dr. Joan Hawsey, and she interviewed children at completion of treatment for cancer. And her results really surprised everybody in the field of pediatric oncology. What she found in her study is that children were really struggling at completion of treatment. Hmm. They weren't celebrating that they were done. They were struggling. They were struggling with worries of recurrence when they hear, oh, you're done with chemo. You don't need to take it anymore. Well, I didn't believe it. Right. That what if it comes back? I'd rather keep taking the chemo to fight it. They would have depression because they, you know, you become second family. And when they hear, oh, we'll see you in three months, when they're used to seeing their medical family every day. Separation. Yeah, Yeah. separation. And then the third finding that was very compelling to me was the children uh, that she interviewed said that they were seeking something tangible. 
so she interviewed the children, and, and this was a common theme in her study and her results. And she said the children were seeking something tangible. And how that came out in the interviews is one child, for example, said, you know, I've been to war and back. And if I had gone to war, I would have gotten a purple heart. Aww. And uh, it was very compelling to me in that when you think about their journey um, and her study, you know, they don't have anything to show and tell others. And so right. kids would say, look, physically, I have something. I have a scar on my chest where my portacath was. One child had had an amputation from an osteosarcoma. Um, they had physical manifestations, but they didn't have something tangible to show and tell others. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if we were to give that something tangible, what would that look like? And I had read in my studies and kind of curious work looking at beads and humans that Boy Scouts were giving beads um, as symbols of honor and accomplishment. And I thought, wow, I wonder if we gave beads as symbols of honor and accomplishment, it would become something tangible, not disposable. And it would be this long lasting symbol of their journey. And that's how it started. That's amazing. I love hearing how you took all of this different, all these different concepts and brought them right home to what you needed for these kids. And I can totally relate. I think we can all relate to being, you know, recovering from something and feeling like nobody knows that I went through this thing. And how wonderful to have something tangible to show, even if it's just for yourself, you know, but I think part of it is sharing it with your family and friends and for kids to identify other kids who have a pile of beads. Those kids know exactly what they went through because they have the, they have the bead guide and they have the prescription for beads. Can you talk a little bit about the different beads that are specific to procedures so that people can kind of identify it is sort of like a Boy Scout badge in a way, but it's as you go along through these milestone treatment and treatment. Yeah. So the Beads of Courage Bead Guide um, outlines very specific treatments and procedures that visually translate into a bead. So for example, every red bead is a time that child's life has been dependent on a blood transfusion. Every white bead is every time they've had chemotherapy Every yellow bead is a time they've spent in the hospital away from the comforts of home. Every black bead, any time they've been poked um, by a needle. Uh, there's 18 different beads that we give that, again, serve as a tangible visual representation of their courageous uh, journey. And uh, the bead guide really drives the program and helps them. Ideally, our organization, how it works is we equip all the hospitals and implement Beads of Courage as a clinical intervention with the beads they need. So quite literally, as that nurse is hanging chemo, they're like, here's your white bead for chemo today. Any procedure, they're actively giving the beads simultaneously while doing the physical care for the children. So it's an acknowledgement, right, as they're, right as it's. Yeah. And yeah. then it's something that they keep forever. Yeah, they keep forever. And of course, you know, I've been studying the outcomes of our work now for 18 years um, since the first program started at Phoenix Children's Hospital. So I'm very passionate about approaching the work we do. Yes, of course, on the surface, it's, it's fun. It's a creative thing for them to do while they're receiving treatment, but um, it goes much deeper than that. Um, some of the newer research that I'm getting into based on some more recent findings of our work is the whole nature of embodiment and, and what that means. So I know obviously many of your listeners, they create things that you wear in adornment and really what Beads of Courage becomes is this embodiment 
truly of their courage. So every bead that they receive is something, it's manifesting a time where they've had to call upon courage. They've had to go through something painful or uncomfortable, or their normative life has been disrupted uh, in a significant way. Um, a lot of times, you know, nurses will say, well, why do we have to give a blue bead for every clinic visit? Well, every clinic visit is a time they're missing school, time away from their friends. Again, it's it's the beads um, help make visual something that otherwise would remain invisible. Right. As well. Like it's a it's a visual storytelling tool uh, that's very important. But a recent study uh, that we just completed with a cardiac team in North Carolina going back to embodiment is uh, I listened to all the transcripts of the interviews. And one of the kids said, wait, stop the interview. And at that point he asked her to take his beads and to hold them. And so you can hear on the transcript, the rustling of the beads and her holding them. And he says to her, do you feel that? Do you feel that? That's the weight of my courage. And it's such a powerful example of embodiment that these beads not only are a visual storytelling tool but they again are this amazing expression and have been able to manifest something for this young man that never existed before making something very visible that otherwise truly remain invisible for all of us to comprehend and understand yeah i love that phrase the weight of my courage Because the first time that I heard about your program, I think a lot of people that I was with felt very deeply the weight of it, but they didn't feel deeply the courage of it. You know, like they they associated a lot with the um, difficulty of going through something like this. But what I love about Beads of Courage is that the kids who are in the program really do feel the weight of their courage through collecting these beads, even though they're doing it's not like a reward exactly. It's more of an embodiment, like you're saying. Right. So maybe it's about the words we use to describe it, really. Yeah, that's really important. Thank you for that. Uh, when we train nurses to implement Beads of Courage, we're very mindful to teach them this is not a reward-based program. They get their beads no matter what. This is, there's no bead withholding. If you hold still for this procedure, you'll get your lumbar puncture bead. No, no, that's not how it works. They get their beads no matter what. Because those beads, again, truly become a manifestation of a time. They're calling upon courage. And what's so powerful about the program, too, and and studying it, is it becomes an active coping um, strategy as well. Like, there are things that kids don't want to do. And I've interviewed kids, and they say, well, this is, you know, I looked at my beads. I'm like, wow, you've already done this 15 times. Like, you can do it again. So they'll literally count their beads Uh, They know they'll use it as an active coping strategy. Yeah, that's it's So I think it's such a powerful, powerful lesson for the rest of their lives, too. Yeah, that they can do hard things. Yeah. Um, And when it comes to the beads, they're glass. And that's for a reason, right? Yeah, all of the beads that we use in the program are exclusively made for our organization. And that was really important to me at Beads of Courage and developing the program and that I didn't want the beads that we use to be the beads their healthy peers could get at the local craft store. Uh, It was very important to me that they had an heirloom quality to them. In addition to the beads that are manufactured for our use, um, which is necessary, a lot of people ask, well, don't you get a lot of things donated? I'm like, yes, we do. But 
there's no way we could run Beads of Courage in over 300 children's hospitals in eight countries waiting on enough beads to be donated. And also, we wanted all the beads, no matter where a child receives Beads of Courage, they're the same. And what that communicates is, you know, we're, we've created a new language. It's a form of narrative medicine. And so the storytelling tool and the beads are the same. Whether you're a child in Japan receiving Beads of Courage or a child in Anchorage, Alaska, they're very fluent in the language of Beads of Courage, and they can be because the beads mean the same no matter where. Um, but we do have a lot of artists that donate beads. They're very special beads in our program. We have lampwork artists that donate glass beads. We have polymer artists that donate polymer beads that we do use for very specific acts of courage in the program. Did you already love beads before you started this? I mean, I think in a former life, I was most certainly a gypsy, uh, <laughs> but I would say that I, I dabble in it ever since I've been involved with Beads of Courage. But no, I, for me, it was a fascinating discovery, quite honestly. When I Googled beads and humans, why do humans even care about beads and discovered the Bead Museum and discovered in that journey that beads are actually the earliest art form known to humans. Quite literally, before we were painting on cave walls, we were finding ways to adorn ourselves with these small perforated objects. And for me, that was fascinating. And I would say my passion more than beads has been art and how art can help humans heal, process emotions, process challenges in our life. And it was my passion to bring art into the otherwise very sterile mundane environment of the hospitalized child. I love the visual of some of the children I've seen in the program who have received wood turned bowls and they have their bowl full of beads. And I just imagine how nice it feels to run your fingers through there. You know, I think it, to me, it feels really good to just kind of go through my stash and touch everything and look at all the colors. And I love that idea of bringing art in, in this way. Do you think that there's um, something special about stringing them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we provide strings so that the children can string them, but we are very cautious and we tell the clinicians, these are their beads of courage. What they choose to do with them is up to them. Most children and teens will string them, but, you know, not to sound cliche, but if you follow us on Pinterest, you will see some amazing things that children and young adults have been doing with their beads is their collection. But the stringing for me is very important. In fact, probably I tell people the most profound finding in our work with Beads of Courage is a study I completed. And one of the themes that came out of all the data was that every child and teen that I interviewed at one point said that their beads made them happy. And I'm like, wow, everyone used the word happy at some point in the interview. And like, well, my beads are happiness. Look at them. They make me happy. And you're thinking, well, of course, beads make me happy too. I like the string beads, make things, give me more beads. Um, but why that's so profound is that in a non-pharmacological way, simply by giving beads to kids in treatment, we are elevating their mood. Happy is a mood. It's an emotion. You don't just feel happy. And in the process of trying to understand those findings, I discovered the work of an incredible neuroscientist who wrote a book. It's a great book. It should be everybody's homework that's listening to the podcast, especially okay, I have my pen all, ready. Yes, all the creators and makers that are listening right now. It's an incredible book. 
It will support your spending habits to maintain your hobbies. <laughs> um, the title Thanks of the that. book is uh, called Lifting Depression, a neuroscientist's hands-on approach to activating your brain's healing power. And it's published by Dr. Kelly Lambert, and that's L-A-M-B-E-R-T. So I discovered her book because I was trying to make sense of, you know, this, what may seem as just a obvious finding that the beads made them happy. But I thought there's something to this because uh, the data was very rich. And this book um, is very incredible. And her it's the whole book is full of the science behind working with your hands. So quite literally, when you string beads, or you knit or you do anything with your hands, you stimulate what is known as the effort reward circuit in your brain. This is a very powerful structure in your brain. And when you do work with your hands, you stimulate it and it causes the release of norepinephrine and serotonin, which are also the most potent mood neurotransmitters that we have. So that euphoria that you feel and that happiness that you feel when you're making things is it truly has a physiological connection. For me, I find that as a nursing scientist, just really incredible and fascinating. Definitely. You know, you think about all the different ways that we make things. Yes. Not just through hobbies or even making things for livelihood. I mean, it's making food. There's other things that we make. That's right. Even cooking can have the same impact. A very important thing about her work is why it's your hands and and a hands-on approach to mood is that your brain actually has a large amount of spatial mapping dedicated to understanding and processing whatever you're doing with your hands, literally tied to the movement of your hands compared to other body parts. It's literally when you do things with your hands that you can have this elevated Um, mood and really healing power, as Dr. Lambert refers to it. It's a healing power when you work with your hands. Well, I think we all need to make a note to ourselves right at this moment that Dr. Jean is prescribing to us, make something to make yourself happy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you're also really intentional about appreciating other things that you do in your life that create joy. And I love following your social media and just being your friend. I know that you love music and you love flowers. And I could name a bunch of things that you enjoy because you're very open about sharing that, you know, with people in your life. And I think that's something I've learned is to really key into what is making me happy right now. And what can I do? How can I get more of that? So how you are a super busy person, how do you make time for these moments? You know, I, I absolutely have to make the time. I think it's part of everybody's wellness, your mental and emotional wellness. I can only manage the stress and demands of my work and being a mom of three teens because I intentionally set aside time for creating myself. I have taken up drawing this past year and I literally will carve out 20 minutes of time and it's sacred time when I'll get my sketch pad out and I'll draw Um, I also, a very challenging thing that I've started, I I encourage everybody to learn something new. I'm going to be turning 47 soon, and I forgot how hard it is to learn something new, (laughs) but I'm learning how to play the banjo, and I can't tell you how much it has transformed my way of thought. I, I, I literally can feel certain neurons dancing that I think have been dead for a long time. Again, I'm working with my hands. I'm learning something new. Uh, so 
yeah, I, I think it's important for our wellness and invite a friend to join you. Uh, that's something that I have. I think when you extend invitation for others to join you, it's intimidating to become a maker and a creator. But when you invite others to join you, they can benefit just as much. I think that's why so many beading and jewelry folks love to teach because it is about more than just making the thing. We do enjoy making the thing, but we also enjoy teaching other people how to make the thing and then seeing other people wear the thing. And it's not just about the piece of jewelry. Right. I would have to say that's definitely in the top 10 things that I most enjoy of my work is when we host our bracelet parties um, that you started um, because it brings in just different people who I think, oh, I can, I can make that. Or yes, you can. And they leave with something they made with their own hands and we make it easy for them. We make it approachable. So yeah, I, I love, I love that. I love bringing in that opportunity for others to create. I remember hearing a story about you at a bead show during the Tucson Gem shows. And I think it may have been Andrew Thornton who said that you stopped by his booth and kind of informed him about this new program that you're started starting. And how do you think things have changed since then? I mean, I'm sure things must be different because you're doing such a larger scale. But what do you see as being a big difference in in the mission? Maybe there isn't one. But from the from the early attending a bead show days? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think definitely we've grown. Obviously, we continue to grow. Um, the demands for our services have not ceased. Uh, I believe that's evidence, again, of the benefits of bringing art into the healthcare setting. People would not ask for beads of courage. We won't continue to do the work if it truly wasn't meeting a human need. But one of the things that I'm so passionate about and so grateful for is how our community of artists has expanded. So earlier you mentioned the wood bulls. Well, lo and behold, a few years ago, a wood turner said, Hey, what if we started making hand turned bowls that kids could put their beads in? And I thought, well, yes, of course, that would be amazing. You know, we have sewing groups that make one of a kind bead bags for kids to put their beads in when they're going to and from the hospital. We have numerous artists that donate um, beads to us. And then all the uh, jewelry designers as well, donating finished pieces that uh, we can use in auctions that raise the money we need to have the beads made that we freely give to kids in Beads of Courage. So for me, it's the expansion of the community that has touched Beads of Courage that allows us to maintain and sustain our mission. And I remember reading one time about philanthropy and you know you're doing a good job if if what you're doing continues to grow but most importantly if you're expanding humanity and every time an artist anytime someone uh, emails how they can get involved I just get so thrilled because for me yes we're we're on the right path because when we're expanding humanity what that really means is we're creating a context for other humans to care and give back for the kids and families we support. I believe every human has the desire and the willpower and and need to give back and care for others. And we've created this amazing context for people to get involved and serve our mission. It is a very, if there was a bubble chart of beads of courage and all the different ways that all the different communities that it touches, that would be amazing to see. 
you know, because you've got all these different artists, like you're talking about, you have the families, you have the caregivers, you have teachers, you have the kids themselves. I mean, there's so many different intersections, really. So it's not just about the intersection of art and medicine, but also of all the different people who are involved in this. Yeah, the mission moments are just so powerful. I mean, they happen every single day. I mean, I'm currently at our office or headquarters here in Tucson, Arizona. And earlier today, um, a bead mom was here and she's volunteering with us. She's like, her son has a cardiac condition. And as a family, they just love their beads so much. And she's like, how can I help? And so she now gives of some of her lifetime volunteering at Beads of Courage um, twice a week. She comes to our headquarters to volunteer. And so there's just, there's so many beautiful mission moments that again, uh, I'm just so grateful for. Well, I'm really grateful to be a part of it. So I think everybody is. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit about, I know that $15 equals 500 treatment beads. Correct. Right. So if yes. people want to just straight up donate to the cause, that's a great way to get involved. Yes. But there are over 20 programs that people and kids can participate in. So why don't you tell us about some of the ones that are right at the top of your list right now? Yeah, no, thank you for that. I feel we have uh, definitely uh, provide the most cost effective psychosocial intervention out there. As you mentioned, um, a $15 donation helps us provide cover the cost of 500 program beads, which is the average number a child coping with cancer receives in a year. Um, But I do think it's important for everyone to know that since we started in oncology, we now provide beads of courage for families that have a premature infant. So we have a neonatal intensive care unit program. Uh, We have a cardiac program, meaning that we have different bead guides that really speak the language of that child, uh, that child's journey clinically. Uh, And so we implement these programs um, throughout the United States and the world. So those, every program that's operated, we distribute the beads and program materials from our headquarters here in Tucson. Some other great work that we've started this past year is virtually we've been providing our program in mindfulness. We call it Bead Strong in Mind, Body, and Spirit. And so um, our child life team has been meeting kids in their homes virtually on Zoom And we mail the program materials to the children in advance. And then they join us for essentially a lesson in mindfulness, um, breath work, and then an art directive uh, that they can use throughout their uh, treatment. And that's been a really powerful program for us, especially during COVID. I hate mentioning that, but, you know, we had to pivot to like everybody else and figure out how can we meet the kids and support the kids um, that need our services And just going back to community engagement uh, right now, you know, we're heading into the holiday season and thinking through all the ways that we can give back and help others. We have some amazing art card kits on our website. We ask for a $20 donation. You get 20 art cards with a postage paid envelope that you can mail the art cards back to us. And when we get those art cards back, we have volunteers here package them with the bead and uh, an art activity so that we can distribute those out to the children's hospitals to bring, again, human compassion and also an art activity to the bedside for the hospitalized kids that we support. Those are fun. My kids and I did them together and it was, I got a kick out of hearing what they wanted to say. Yes, (laughs) I love them. They would draw a picture or just write, you're awesome, you know. Yeah. It's an easy, um, fun thing to do together. Yeah, it is. And I just, you know, the vision is, families sitting around together and and decorating them together. And, you know, you can benefit from 
the art activity and know that your art cards will be really received uh, well from the kids that receive them. Yeah, I bet they think they're fun when they open it up and it's this colorful message or picture. Yeah. And you also, as you know, because you've done it with your family, Katie, you put where you live. So we do distribute them randomly. So it's pretty exciting for kids that might be in a hospital somewhere in Florida to get an art card from someone in Arizona. It's magical. How'd that get here? (laughs) Right. It does. I think it does probably make them feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves too. That's what it made me feel when I was doing it. Yes. I really like the carry a bead program too. You know, that's one of my favorites where a person um, purchases a pair of lampwork beads and carries them while doing some activity, whether that's an everyday thing or going for a hike or running a marathon. And then they write a note of encouragement and a child gets one of the beads and then I keep a bead, which I have amassed quite a collection. And I like looking at them and thinking about those kids and, you know, how things are going for them. Definitely. I am very passionate about our Curry Bee program as well. I think it's uh, such a powerful way to literally become a direct source of encouragement for a child we care for in their treatment journey. And the beads you carry and send back will end up on their strand. And um, on a day that they really, really need a boost of encouragement, that's when those beads are given out. I like being a part of that. I think um, we've covered so much during this conversation. <laughs> we yeah, talked about thank you. <laughs> um, this charitable work that you're doing and how it benefits the kids and also people who are participating. Anthropology, science, neuroscience, medicine, wellness. Is there anything else that you want to share with us before I let you go? You know, there's one last thing I'd like to share. Um, we're a member organization of the National Organization for Arts and Health. Uh, NOAA is the acronym. I invite everyone to to look into their work. We're proud to be a member organization, but if you go to their website, that's where you can really see the impact of other organizations like Beads of Courage, uh, the impact we're having in the quality of life uh, for people coping with a serious illness by literally bringing art into the healthcare setting. Uh, so there's a whole array of different artists out there making an impact, and maybe you can get involved um, in the NOAA chapter in your own community or in your local community hospital. Awesome. I think that's something we can all get behind. Well, tell us where people can learn more about Beads of Courage, Jean. Of course, we have a website, uh, beadsofcourage.org. Uh, that is the best place to um, learn about our mission, but also we're on every social media channel. I invite you all to visit our Facebook page or Instagram. That's where you're really going to see um, regular postings of mission moments that will definitely pull on your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. Good for the soul. Yes. Well, I wish you a very happy holiday and thank you so much, Jean. Thanks for having me, Katie. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to Jewelry Artist and connect with us on social media, interweave.com slash jewelry artist podcast. Jewelry Artist is a production of Interweave and Golden Peak Media. It's hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker, with help from Tamara Hahnemann and Tammy Jones. Our audio producer is Daisha Clay, and our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.